you'll take your Bibles, go to the book of Philippians, please. Philippians chapter 2. We've been preaching through the book of Philippians. Chapter 1, is it, can anybody tell me what the, uh, the theme of chapter 1 in Philippians was about as we preached through it? I know this is teaching, right? <laughs> in one word, one word. Suffering. I'm glad you got that. Amen. You're good students. <laughs> suffering, and specifically suffering for the gospel. The second chapter, can somebody tell me a word for that? What was that? Who? Service. So we're talking about service for the gospel. And of course, looking at the greatest example of a servant, we've already covered that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And how he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it's serving with Christ's mind. Now today we're going to look at three examples of servants of Christ. And each one of these, I think, are going to emphasize a specific, a specific uh, quality that I think are very important for us as we seek to serve him. And the first one I want to look at is the joyous servant. And so Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse number 16 to verse number 18. It says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So there's a lot of words there. And he mentions rejoice at least four times, and, or joy or rejoice four times in those couple of verses there. So Paul was a man that was a joyous servant. Yet he's probably the man that suffered the most as a servant. So we can't relate suffering and joy, or too much suffering takes away our joy. With many people that's the case, where when I suffer I lose my joy. But with the Apostle Paul, it seemed like the more he suffered, the more joy he had. And in this passage, I think we get a, we get a key to that, as to why he had joy, even though he had to suffer so greatly. Now, I want to give you a couple of points in relation to this. The first one is, joy is in the motive of God's servants. So it's got to be in your motive. Now, if you're serving, now people serve for different reasons. And the reason why you serve Jesus, uh, I don't know. That's in your heart. You have to choose why that is. The Apostle Paul, it was plain to see that he had, a joy, he, he had joy in his motive. He, he had something he was looking forward to that he was going to see and he was looking forward to the time where he could rejoice in the way that he had never rejoiced before and he was, that was a future time. And in fact, in this passage it says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. In the day of Christ. Now in the day of Christ, that's not a singular 24-hour day. It's actually a span of time where Jesus Christ will return, restore righteousness to this world. So the day, it's a long day, amen? But when the day of Jesus Christ comes, you will definitely know that it has arrived because he is going to be the central figure 
within that day. And that's going to be for a long time. We're going to spend a thousand years ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ, where you will see him face to face all of the time. You will spend time with him. You will visit with him and you will reign with him. He will be your ruler, but you will rule underneath him and be a part of that process of ruling this world. That's if you're willing to suffer for him. The Bible says that if you suffer for him, you will reign with him. But if you deny him, that he will deny you. Now, it's not talking about salvation there. It's talking about the fact that if you are not willing to suffer for Jesus' sake, that in essence is a denial of Jesus Christ as much as it was for Peter that day when they asked him, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Hey, I know not the man. (laughs) Now, why did he do that? Well, because he had a bunch of people there and there were soldiers and there was arrests being made and he didn't want to be arrested. So I'm not going to admit that I'm a part of Jesus' crowd. It's the same way when you go to work tomorrow. When you have an opportunity to speak up and tell somebody about Christ and you don't. You're not doing that because you're so spiritual. You're doing that because you're afraid. You're afraid of suffering. But the Bible tells us that if we're willing to suffer for him, he says that you will reign with me. In other words, he says, I can't put anybody in a place of responsibility in my millennial kingdom if you're not willing to take a hit for me. So we've got to be willing to suffer for him. Otherwise, it's a denial. He says, he'll go to the Father and say, sorry, Lord. I mean, Father, uh, I love him and I died for him, but I, I can't really use him. Because he wasn't really willing to stick his neck out for us when he was living by faith. Amen? So it's not about salvation. It's about reward. It's about responsibility. It's about delegation. And throughout the New Testament, you'll see those themes come out very clearly uh, in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ as being the, the master. And we are the servants. We are the stewards. We have something to manage here. So the day of Christ, he says, in the day of Christ that he would rejoice. Not before, not after. He says that I want you to hold forth the word of life, shine his lights in this world, so that in the day of Christ, I will rejoice. In other words, he's looking forward to the time where you, because of your sacrifice for the ministry and for Jesus Christ and serving him, will stand up before the Lord and receive the rewards and the positions in the kingdom of God and he would rejoice with you knowing that his work and labor that he did on behalf of these people was not in vain. You see, to the Apostle Paul, he didn't know whether these people were going to do right or not. He didn't know whether they were going to continue to hold forth the word of life. That's why he said that my motivation, my joy is that one day at the end of it all, I can rejoice then when I see that you did do what you were taught to do. Amen? So with every believer that wants to be a servant of God, you've got to have joy in your motive. Jesus, of course, is our example in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, for, for the joy that was set before him, 
He endured the cross, despising the shame. Now in that moment, there was no joy. I mean, I tell you, if you think he went to the cross smiling, I'm sorry, you are wrong. He suffered greatly. He was hurting at a level that you probably never hurt. He was betrayed on a level that you've never been betrayed. He was denied on a level that you've never been denied. He was, he was mocked on a level that you will probably never be mocked. He was physically hurt in a way that you will probably never be physically hurt. And yet he did it all because joy was in his motive. See, that's why people that are depressed, oh, folks, deal with it. Any person that's living their life in depression does not have motivation and will not be motivated to go on. You're in danger. The Bible says the heart, that hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And so when you set aside the hope of your future and the hope of your labors and everything you're trying to invest into serving God and you say it's not going to amount to anything, it's not worth it anyways, you have no motivation to serve God and you won't serve God. So we need joy. Folks, I have to look past this. There's going to be people in our church that one day they'll, they'll just throw it all away. They'll go into the world. Guess what? I can't allow that to hit me in such a way. Well, what? it's not worth it anyways. I just quit. I have to, for the joy that was set before me, realizing that in the day of Christ, after the rapture, in that time where we're going to stand before Christ, in the time where we're going to rule and reign with him, during that time there will be those in this ministry, in Airdrie, in Calgary, that through the work of this church will stand there faithfully serving God. So joy has to be a part of my motivation. That's why you continue on. That's why you don't give up on your children. You keep at them. You keep prodding them and and pushing them to the things of God. And it may not seem like they're catching it, but folks, for the joy that's set before, endure the cross, take the load upon your shoulder. Jesus Christ proved, he said, hey, don't you think that I can call more than 12 legions of angels and they cannot deliver me at this time? You know what? He could have done that. Now, why 12 legions? Why not 13? Why not 14? You know that David... The greatest king of Israel had a personal guard of 12 legions. And do you know that Jesus Christ, when he stood there, was making a proclamation that he is the greatest king? He says, don't you think that I can call more than, more than? I have more soldiers available to me than David could ever dream of. Don't you think for one second that I couldn't call them and they could deliver me from this cross? But I choose it. I choose to endure. I choose to put the load on my back. I choose to carry the cross. See, for every believer, that's the mind we need to have. If this is a chore to you, oh, we have to go to church. Folks, if you can't go to church without belly aching, how are you ever going to serve God? That's got to become past to you. 
you got to get past that stuff. In fact, you're still on entry-level Christianity if we're still bellyaching about going to church on Sunday morning because there's far greater things that we need to sacrifice for. But if we can't get past that, how will we ever have joy in the day of Christ? Amen. Paul had joy in his motivation. Paul knew that joy is within the submissiveness of God's servants as well. It has to be a part of your submitting. You can't submit without joy. Now you can do things and you can maybe listen and say, okay, I'll do that. But it's not wholeheartedly. Any Christian that wants to truly submit to the Lord and to their king has to have joy in their heart for it. He says in Philippians 2.17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Notice these words. Offered, sacrifice, service. These are all words that were used in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the offerings, the sacrifice. In other words, the word offered means poured out. He's saying, if I be poured out upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy. See, folks, today what we have are, is Christianity... And we, we don't mind serving God. In fact, we feel good about it. <laughs> Amen. Until it costs us something. Can I tell you something? If your service to Christ has to be convenient, you've truly never served Christ yet. Serving Christ is inconvenient. It's going to cost you hours at work. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you physical uh, strength. It may cost you mental, emotional uh, problems because you're, you're burdened with what God is doing and what needs to do in your family or in your church or wherever it may be. If, if we think we can serve without, in, or conveniently, we are sorely mistaken. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, if I be poured out completely on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice over that. Pouring out everything. A complete sacrifice, a complete pouring out of himself. Just like in the Old Testament when the priests would offer a drink offering and they would have it in that vessel and they would pour it upon the sacrifice. He says, if that was me in that cup and I was poured out On that sacrifice, I rejoice. If that's my part in your future so that you can be successful and move forward and grow in faith, then I rejoice in that sacrifice. See, folks, we're trying to find ways not to lose. (laughs) Now realizing that when we lose, we actually win. The Bible says if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But the Bible says, if you will lose your life for my sake, you shall find it. I believe there's a lot of Christians today, they don't know their life. (laughs) 
Now they know the life that they've made. They know the life that they have designed, but they don't know the life that God has for them. I spent 25 years of my life living my life. And also the Lord taught me that that's no longer sufficient. Now I need to live his life. So I had to lose it. I had ambitions. I had things I wanted to do. I had likes and dislikes. I had hobbies I liked to do. All these different things. All of these things I poured out. I was a guitar player. I loved guitar. I was going to go further in that. I was already playing. We were touring around and so forth. And you know what? When the Lord got a hold of my heart, I took that guitar. I hung it up. Now I still pluck it a little bit here and there, but it's not important to me anymore. Because I lost my life. Now I wish I was the best example of this. I'm sure there's some in this church that's probably a better example of losing their life for Christ's sake. But folks, if you, if you don't even know what that's like, then you haven't even found it yet. There comes a time where you have to say, you know what? These are all the things that I've ever wanted since I was a little person, a little child or a, a young adult. And, and I've never truly poured that out on the sacrifice. Maybe you need to do it. Now, sometimes the Lord gives it to you back. See, but that's the whole thing. Your life cannot be your design. It has to be the design of God. <laughs> Amen? And sometimes those likes that you have and those talents you have are a part of that design. But sometimes we use those for the wrong motives at first. So we have to pour it out, and then he gathers it up, and he gives it back. His way. Amen? Submissiveness. This word offered, it means a complete sacrifice to death. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, he used the same word when it says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. So as real as it was for Paul to face the day of death is as real as it is that we ought to have a death of our own. To ourself, to pour it out. You see, he was in prison at this time writing to these people in Philippi. He's saying, if me being here ends up where they take the, my head off of my body, he says, I rejoice. Because it's a, it's a, it's a drink offering <laughs> poured upon the sacrifice of the building of your faith. To him, it was worth it. You see, we need joy. <laughs> the Bible tells us in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. See, if you don't have joy in your future, you don't have joy in your service, you don't have joy in your prospect of the future, you have no strength. That's why over and over he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice! Rejoice! It's taking the word joy and putting re in front of there. Like re means over and over again. <laughs> so when I'm rejoicing, I'm kind of re recycling the joy. <laughs> I'm just rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing. So I take joy and then I rejoice with it and I rejoice with it and I rejoice again. And every day I get up in the morning and I rejoice. <laughs> and I re again <laughs> and re again. <laughs> Do you understand? You wake up in the morning, you're... Sucking your bottom lip. 
crying the blues, have a complaining spirit. You've got no strength. And the only way you're going to get past that when you start believing God again. That there is a purpose, there is a goal, there is something that God has for you. He doesn't have you here as a mistake. You've been left you here because there's something he has for you to do that has a result in people growing and becoming effective and ultimately standing before Christ, being rewarded for their faithfulness to God so that your life was not in vain. Just like the Apostle Paul. That's our theme for the year. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Amen. As well, I think we need to see here that this sacrifice was upon the, this, this pouring out was upon the sacrifice and service of faith, of faith. Folks, I make a big deal about this here, and I think I have to. You know, we live in a day where the faith is not the issue, where it's actually your faith that's the issue, but not his faith. Do you understand? And I've told you this before, there's his faith and there's your faith. Your faith is just what gets you included in his faith. But his faith is what keeps on going forever and ever. That's where the power is. You can have faith that you come from a monkey. There's no power there. And that's a faith position. That's not science. They're telling you science, but that's a faith position. There's all kinds of faith things you got to put in there if you believe you've come from a monkey. (laughs) Amen. But the problem is you take your faith and you put it into that kind of Uh, truth or lie there's no power there so what we need is the faith of christ so paul's whole goal here was to help people unite themselves with the faith of christ so that their lives could be effective and there's a couple of points i just want to bring out here in relation to this i was thinking about why faith is so important why not just faith my believing is important my my conviction But what my conviction lies in is important. See, my faith has to be put in his faith to have power. So the Bible says in James 1, 6, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Do you understand that your answered prayer has a lot to do with your faith? Your faith. Not just how much you believe. Because nowadays you got people telling you, oh, if you believe it enough, he'll do it for you. That's not true. (laughs) Because it's not talking about simply my faith. It's talking about my faith intertwined with his faith. So when I ask something in faith, I'm not asking what I want. I'm essentially asking what he wants for me. His faith. Do you understand? But I know we've gone through probably some 40, 50 years of the charismatic movement that have been telling you, you name it and claim it, and if you want it, you can have it. I'm sorry, it's not true. You can have what Christ wants for you, and that's all you should really want. So when you pray, you're not just praying for any old thing. You're praying for what Christ wants. You're praying in the faith. In the truth. Amen. So Paul's saying that this is important. I'm going to pour myself out upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. That means I want your prayers to be answered. 
Amen? Not only that, protection. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Paul knows the reason why I'm pouring out my life upon the sacrifice and service of your faith is so you can be protected. So I'm willing to give my life for you. See, folks, if we don't build people's faith, when the lion comes roaring, they don't know how to resist. They don't know how to fight that. And that's why families are in ruins today. That's why homes are broken up. That's why wives leave husbands and husbands leave wives because they don't know what the Bible says about it. <laughs> They're falling into the trap that Satan has laid out for them to destroy and divide and conquer. And that's why young people are leaving their homes and leaving their parents and going on their own because they turn 18. 18. Because thus saith the Lord, when thou turnest 18... That's not faith. Yet that young person is, is putting his rest of his future based upon a, a premise or a philosophy that does not even exist in the scripture. <laughs> well, the government said so. They say a lot of things. They're going to make heroin legal. Why don't we just take heroin? Government said it's still wrong to smoke pot. In fact, whether alcohol is legal or not, it's wrong to drink the beverage alcohol. And it's sinful. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby are not wise. Well, you see, I just think you're not wise. When you start your thinking, <laughs> get rid of your thinking, start let the Lord do his thinking for you. See, that's what it means to be in the faith. That's why the Apostle Paul wanted to pour himself out upon the service and sacrifice of the faith. Amen? Yes. Prayer, protection. How about 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13? It says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He knew that for them to have persistence in God's work, their faith would have to be built. And the reason why he was willing to pour himself out on the, the sacrifice and service of, of their faith so that they could have prayer, their prayers answered, so they could have, be protected when the attacks come, but also so they could be persistent in the work of God. Because, folks, your faith is not about how much you believe today. Do you understand that? That's making it all about you. Oh, yeah, look at me. Look how much I believe. I can raise the dead. Look at me. <laughs> nice parlor trick. You don't need to raise the dead. He's already figured that one out. It's going to happen. <laughs> and by the way, you don't need to be healed physically, even though he may. You understand why he did that in the first century? Because <laughs> the Bible said that when Messiah come, he would come with healing in his wings before he ushered his people into the kingdom. So he was demonstrating that to the high priests and to the leaders to show them that he was the Messiah. So you don't have to go around and do that. 
Because you're not the Messiah. <laughs> Amen. And they rejected him back there. They'll reject you today. And that's what he says. Marvel not when the world hates you, for they hated me before they hated you. And by the way, you think it's such a great thing for your body to be healed. I find it a far greater thing when someone gets saved. I find it a far greater thing when a sinner repents of their sin and finds cleansing through, through Christ. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. The miracle isn't that my body gets healed. Guess what? As healed as this body gets, it's still going into the ground. But we are guaranteed complete healing one day when Jesus Christ will come again and the dead in Christ shall rise. Folks, this body will be totally dissolved and I'll get a brand new glorious body. Now, man, that is the miracle. Like unto his glorious body. So, folks, I mean, I am for healing. I believe in James chapter 5, and I've seen it happen. I've seen a young girl who had a kidney disease, and we anointed her with oil in the pastor's office, and she called back and said, the doctor said it's gone. That's wonderful. But guess what? We didn't go out in the church the next day and say, hey, guess what happened? Folks, if we're going to do that, then we got to do that every time a sinner gets right, every time a soul gets saved, folks, because that, my friend, is the greatest miracle that will happen in this church when someone becomes born again, when someone gets right with God, when someone says, I'm going to live for Jesus. That, my friend, is a miracle because we are rebels. We are sinners. For him to change our hearts. Like I've said before, it was easy for him to say to the waves, be still until the wind stop blowing. They listen to him. But people don't. And it's a miracle when people submit to their God. And what God does in our heart because of it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Now don't go around and say he's against healing the Bible. <laughs> I'm against the showboating. <laughs> and by the way, there are no faith healers today. There is faith healing, but there are no faith healers because there was a purpose for that in the first century. Find out. <laughs> Go to the scriptures. In the faith. The answer is there. Amen? Boy, it's gotten quieter. You guys don't believe in faith healers, do you? Man, I could be making a lot more money up here. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> Persistence. Colossians 2, verse 6, it says this. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. You know what I think also Paul was doing? Was pouring himself out because he knew that it would make them profitable. Profitable. You see, there's a reason why we pour ourselves out. <laughs> There's a reasons why I don't let a sore knee or a sickness or something get in the way of me doing my work for God. In fact, you look at the last example of a servant, Epaphroditus. He was sick nigh unto death. For the Lord's work, it said. And he was willing to die, be sick and die, so that his people would go forward. Boy, we need that back today. But today, it's the first thing, oh, I'm going to go sniffle. I'm going to have to skip church for a month. My goodness, man. 
I understand COVID and all that. Please don't get me in trouble here. He's saying everybody with sickness should come to church, put them in prison. It's real. I was in hospital for six days with COVID. I know what it is, but it's not going to dictate my life. It's not going to stop me from serving God. It's not going to stop me from being with God's people. It's not going to stop me from reaching souls for Christ. There's nothing that should stop us from that. Do you understand? Because that is everything to us. That is our motivation. That's what we're submitting ourselves to. We are pouring our life out on that. I almost think a lot of Christians liked it that they didn't have to go to church. It tore me up. It messed me up. That first 11 weeks where we didn't know what was going on and nobody could meet, I was going crazy. I was preaching in my office to a camera. I went and took pictures of all you folks and you sent me pictures so I could plaster them on the wall so I could see you while I was preaching. So when I was preaching there, I was looking at all your faces. You liked everything I preached. I tell you, get right with God. You just... <laughs> it was great. <laughs> just like this. Amen. Now let me say something. No, keep that pose. <laughs> Profitability. See, we, we joy in the fact that through our sacrifice for others, people are going to profit. Boy, I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait one day we're going to stand before Christ I'm going to see some of you go up before the Lord and he's going to say, oh, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to go like this. <laughs> Them's our folks. They're going to say, shut up. <laughs> it's for our people. Joy. Joy. Oh, keep going, folks. It's so important we keep going. And let me just remind you, it is about the faith. It's about building people. It's about preparing them for the battle. They need the word of God. They need the truth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. They need the Bible. Everybody that comes in here, you know what they need? They need the truths of this book and they need you to exemplify these truths in your life. That's got to be everything to us. That's what it means to offer yourself. That's what it means to pour yourself out. This isn't about you anymore. That's why I love the local church. The local church, everybody loses their name here. Every one of us, we no longer have an identity. If you want an identity here, then you're in the wrong place. You've got to lose your name. There's only one name we lift up, and that's Christ. This isn't about getting a preacher his moment of fame. I don't want that. I don't care about that. I don't want somebody to come in here and lift up my name. I'll just tell them, you just don't bother doing that. That's not going to help us. What will help us is if we keep lifting up the name of Christ, serving him, serving him. Folks, you know what? If you will, in your heart, submit to serving Christ, you say, Pastor, you've got nothing for me to do over there. Everybody else is doing everything. I can't do anything. It doesn't start with doing. 
It starts with pouring out. If you pour yourself out, you can be guaranteed there'll be stuff that you'll be doing. It happened in my life. <laughs> I was a long-haired rock and roller. <laughs> I went to church, I had long hair for the longest time. Nobody ever told me to cut my hair. Not once. Except the Lord one day. And then I did it. And the process began of pouring out my life. And I began letting go of all those things, all those things that I held so dear and I thought were so important. I began to let them go and let them go. And also, as I was doing that, the Lord began to hand me other things. See, because I was full. I was so full of everything that the Lord couldn't give me anything. So I had to first deny myself. I had to let go of some things. When I began to let go, he began to take up that empty spot with other things. And that's why from the time when I got saved in 94, I, was, I went to Bible college probably the next year. I started giving myself to learning the scripture. I think it was by 1999, I was starting to preach. We're talking three or four years after that long-haired hippie, rock and roller, touring around in bars. I was preaching behind the pulpit because I poured myself. I didn't know what I was doing, but that's what was happening. And that's what you need to do. <laughs> well, you say, preacher, I'm here every service. That's a great start. But that's not it. It's not everything. I've seen people come to every service. They still didn't do anything for God. But you got to go every service or you're going to be do something for God. <laughs> Why is that? You know, I remember there was this one guy that was a really good soul winner and he was my first ministry and he just loved people. He would just go out and bring kids to church and he did a great job. But, you know, he allowed work to get in the way and also he started missing church and so forth and so he was trying to maintain that burden of getting children to church. At the same time, he was trying to divide it with going to work. But slowly but surely, he was pulled away. And in fact, there was a time I said, you know, don't bother. Because every time they come, they ask where you are. It's better they don't know. You know? All I know is this. If I'm going to ask one person to come to church... When they come, I'm going to be there. Well, when are they going to come? I'll make sure I'm there. I'll just make sure I'm there every time. So when they come, I'll be there. You understand? That's what service is. But that's not convenient, I know. <laughs> It'd be nice if we can just relegate what service really is according to our plan. No, he's, you know what he says? Pour yourself out. Pour yourself out. You know what? You're going to meet God one day. You think you're going to regret it. <laughs> you're going to meet Jesus. Jesus, I really didn't want to give so much, but I did it anyways. Hope it didn't disturb, disturb you for that. He'll say, what? I created you to pour yourself out. Do you understand that? The only thing you're going to regret when you meet Christ is what you didn't pour out. Let's bow our heads.